Yeah, good morning everybody. Want to, uh, want to say hello to all of you joining us online this morning and all of you gathered over in Knox Hall next door. Happy Easter to you. Thanks for, thanks for being over there today and all of you here in the sanctuary. Happy Easter to you. Uh, it occurred to me this morning that for some of you here in the building today, this is your first in-person Easter gathering in three years. Think about that. Yeah. It, is, it has felt uh, for a lot of us like we've been in a cave under a shroud uh, for a count of three, and on the third day, resurrection. And whether you've been away from church for three days, some of you were here for Monday, Thursday, whether you've been away for, from church for three days, three weeks, three months, three years, or 30 years, welcome, today is resurrection day. It does seem and feel like things are starting to get back to normal. Uh, for more than two years, our cry has been, when do we get to go back to normal? And then for a while, people were using the phrase, new normal, remember that? Uh, but it's my highest hope that we will uh, experience something far greater than a return to normal, far greater than a new normal. It's my prayer that we will experience resurrection. The women went to the tomb early that first Easter morning. They were heartbroken. They had seen Jesus crucified, dead, and buried. They went to the tomb that morning to mourn, to grieve, to pay their respects. And to their surprise, the tomb was empty. And at that point, they could not make sense of this. And suddenly, angels appeared and asked the women this intriguing question recorded in Luke 24, 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. What a profound question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, some of this is obvious, of course. They were in a cemetery. They were at a tomb. Uh, you don't go to a tomb and expect to find life. When you go to a tomb, you expect to find only death. Uh, we should also point out that the miracle of the resurrection was just as unbelievable then as it is now. It's not like these were primitive people who were somehow more gullible than we modern people. They understood well that dead things tend to stay dead. When the women went to the tomb that morning, nobody was expecting nobody. And that's why one of the dominant emotions in Easter, in addition to outrageous joy, the next emotion is fear, because nobody was expecting nobody. When I was a child, my father uh, saw a mouse scurry across our kitchen floor, and he reacted quickly, and he stepped on it, killing that mouse. And he was so self-impressed with his ninja-like reflexes until he lifted his foot and discovered it was actually our pet hamster who had gotten out of its cage. True. My sister and I were not home at the time. Dad felt terrible. Uh, he and Mom discussed what they should do. Should they just tell us that our hamster had passed away and leave out the detail about the murderous event our father had committed? <laughs> should they let us down easy? Uh, my father wanted to go to the pet store and get a look-alike replacement hamster, switch them out, and maybe the kids wouldn't notice. Um, any parents here ever faced a similar dilemma? What do you do? My sister and I got home from school, and my mom sat us down and told us that our beloved hamster, Gomer, had passed away and had gone to that great habit trail in the sky. 
She said that near as she could tell, Gomer had passed away in his sleep, and he uh, was likely sick for some time and was now no longer in pain. Uh, we were devastated. Unbeknownst to my mom, due to some marital miscommunication, <laughs> my father had pursued plan B, the hamster replacement plan. Yeah. My crying sister and I walked into the bedroom to discover that Gomer had risen from the dead. My mother seemed equally surprised to see a very live hamster running on the wheel. Uh, now, Gomer looked different. Uh, he was smaller in size, and he was a different color. You know, Dad did not have attention to detail, um, but I assumed it was his resurrection body. Uh, my mom backpedaled and said, obviously, Gomer had been only partially dead, or maybe he was only sleeping. And, uh, and I didn't learn the full story until I was 35 years old. <laughs> Sometimes you expect death and you find life. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. This brings us to one of the greatest objections that people have about the resurrection. People sometimes think that it's just symbolic or maybe that Jesus was only partially dead or that the resurrection is really a symbol of, of new life and, and optimism and hope that spring will always break through that long, dark winter. And I, I just want to say, if you're here today and you have wondered if Jesus actually rose from the dead, you are not alone, and your questions are very welcome here, and God is not put off by your honest questioning. But as someone who has wrestled with questions of faith, I just want to say that, that as I have studied this particular issue and as I have read differing perspectives, I have become more confident that Jesus of Nazareth died on a Friday, was laid in a tomb, and was physically bodily resurrected from the dead on Sunday, not as a metaphor, but as a matter of history. I love so many things about Easter, but one of the things I love about Easter is its honesty. It's not all Pollyanna. Easter acknowledges that things die. It does not promise a suffering-free life. But at the same time, it announces that in our suffering, we can hope because resurrection is coming. God is bringing new life to places and people that are dead. And because of that, when the bottom drops out, when everything seems to be crumbling, Easter still holds. Easter doesn't rely on the fact that everything needs to be okay. It acknowledges evil. It acknowledges that things die, but with Jesus, they don't stay dead. And when Jesus takes something that has died and makes it alive again, that is a hope that does not disappoint. There's a moment when the gospel writer Matthew seems to put an exclamation point on this. In Matthew's telling of the story, it says this in Matthew 28 too, an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. That seems like an odd detail, sat on it, what's up with that? And then I remember how battle really works. When, when my uh, kids were young and we would wrestle, when they, were, uh, when they were very small, I would let them win. 
I would make them think they had thrown me off in really dramatic and silly ways. And as they grew, I pretended less. Uh, and it took some energy, and I would get tired. When I was tired, or when I just had it, I would take those boys, and I would put them together, and I would sit on top of them uh, until they said the magic word, and the magic word is uncle. Uh, why it's uncle, I have no idea, but that was the magic word. And sitting is a symbol of victory, of dominance. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said, the angels sat there on the tomb, silently and gracefully breathing defiance to death and hell. It's like they were saying, is that all you've got, Satan? Bring it on. Over the last seven Sundays, over the season called Lent, our congregation has been focusing on the person of Jesus. And each Sunday we have lifted up one of the great I am statements of Jesus. Uh, seven times in John's gospel, Jesus said, I am, and then he gives this really unforgettable description. And on display in the lobby today is a painting by artist Natalie Ziamba, who grew up in this church. And it's a stunning depiction of Jesus surrounded by images of his I am statements. Maybe you can find them. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. And when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was in a place of death. He was at a tomb. He was in a cemetery at the death of his friend Lazarus. This was before his own crucifixion, of course, before he got to Jerusalem. And uh, the, this story is told in John chapter 11. And the story opens with this line. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. Now, the name Lazarus means God helps. And the, the name Bethany, scholars think, could be a play on words meaning house of affliction. And so the plot is laid out in this story in the very first line, God helps a man in a house of affliction. This is not just Lazarus's story, this is yours and mine too, because sooner or later, every one of us logs some time in that same house of affliction. It seems to be our lot as humans. Lazarus was no stranger to Jesus. They were friends, along with the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. Jesus received word that his good friend Lazarus was sick. But by the time Jesus got to his house, Lazarus had died. And Lazarus' sister, Martha, ran out to meet Jesus. This is John eleven twenty one. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we've all said something similar to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, if only, why didn't you? You're too late. But Martha, in her disappointment, expresses incredible hope as well, because in the very next line, she said this, but I, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. 
Now Martha didn't know what to make of that, and she assumed that what Jesus meant was that her brother will rise the same way everybody connected to God will rise when Jesus returns the second time. She said, uh, here Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, the same way all of us will. Then Jesus uttered his famous words, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Not I was, not I will be. I am the resurrection and the life right now, right in the midst of death. Resurrection is not a doctrine. It's not an idea. It is a person. Jesus, God's I am. Jesus said then, the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That in Christ Jesus we live even though we die. Yes, Lord, Martha replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha here makes one of the greatest faith statements in all the Bible because she makes it while her brother is still dead. Her brother's in the tomb. She trusted Jesus even when Jesus was late. And so we learn here that the delay of Jesus is compatible with his love. It may even be a sign of his love. It may be an opportunity for us to express our faith. Now, let's be clear, Jesus is not saying that we will never die physically. Of course, he's not saying that. Every one of us is going to die physically. The death rate in the United States right now still hovers at 100%. And, uh, and you know in this story, uh, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm sorry if you didn't see that coming, but he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But you know what happened to Lazarus later? He died. And he did not come out of the tomb that second time. There's no vaccine, no antidote, no booster shot for death. Every one of us is going to face this, which is why I love what Jesus does next. Not only is the divinity of Jesus on display in this story, but his humanity as well. This is the story where we read the shortest verse in the Bible and one of the most profound, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Jesus wept over the death of his friend. He wept over the grief and pain experienced by others. Right? He, he demonstrated feeling and compassion and empathy. And the good news is that Jesus still weeps over friends, over cities, over nations. Jesus knows what it is to experience loss. He knows what it is to experience pain. He was nailed to a cross, laid in a tomb, but he did not stay there. The resurrection was resurrected. The I am, the resurrection and the life, endured pain and loss. He gets it. He knows what it's like. And his tears give permission to our tears now. The humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus on full display side by side in this story. Death is not the final word in this story. Death is powerful, but it is not all powerful. Let's finish the story, John eleven thirty eight. 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. 
right? The ever practical Martha. If you know this character from the Bible, she's always about logistics and calendar, and she's a little skeptical about opening the tomb at this point. It's going to stink to high heaven. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus is the one in whom there is life. He is the one we follow. He's the author of life who endured death on our behalf, and we have nothing to be afraid of. Where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus gives life? Not just existence, not just doing time, not just occupying space, but life abundant. Did you think that Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, went back to normal life after all of this? It's hard to go back to normal life once you've experienced resurrection. Resurrection announces that some things we thought were dead and lifeless and beyond saving are actually alive. And conversely, there are things that, that, that we pursue for life that we discover only hold death. Maybe we've been looking for life in all the wrong places. Maybe there are things about our old normal life that need to stay dead. You know, honestly, I don't know that I want to go back to normal going back to chasing all those things I've been putting my identity in. I don't want us to go back to that flimsy version of faith that rests more in the American trinity of comfort, pleasure, and success. I don't want to go back to being overworked and overtired and half-present all the time. I, I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want new normal. I want new life, resurrection life. In fact, going back to normal has been one of my chief concerns for my life for this church and for our nation. What if going back to normal, what if normal needs to stay dead and instead we ask God for resurrection life where we find our happiness not in that next deal or next house or next relationship, but it's about losing ourselves in the pursuit of something so much bigger, a rescue mission to bring people out of the dark and into the light, out of despair and into hope. It's about freeing the captives and feeding the hungry and breaking down barriers and overcoming hate as we build this one new community centered in Jesus. That's why we're so committed as a church to serving beyond these walls, to extend the hope of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, not just in words but in deed whether it's building schools in India for the marginalized or renovating homes in Detroit to rebuild neighborhoods or fighting sex trafficking in Thailand and Spain and Metro Detroit and standing up to the oppressors and providing real options for trapped women or whether it's sending disaster relief teams to parts of the country ravaged by tornadoes or hurricanes or, or serving groceries through forgotten harvest to neighbors that we didn't even know were in need. And sometimes we think that we're bringing hope 
to these hurting people when the reality is it is their courageous, resilient, stubborn hope in the face of suffering that reminds us of the resurrection power of God. So how about you? Where have you been looking for life in places that only bring death? And then conversely, where have you seen only loss and darkness and death and you've given up hope that Jesus can from it bring life? My friend Lisa grew up in this church. She is bright and energetic. And when she finished law school, she did not pursue the normal career path for lawyers. Instead, she served among the poor in Chicago in the infamous Cabrini-Green projects. Then later, she and her husband moved back to Detroit, and in 1993, they founded Central Detroit Community Development Corporation, which is now nationally recognized as a model for community redevelopment right in the heart of the city. Lisa's personality and skill set make her ideal for this kind of work, building businesses, creating jobs, rehabbing homes, and working with city officials. She is tireless and unrelenting. She's a five-foot-two powerhouse. She'll walk right up to drug dealers and tell them to stop selling drugs in her neighborhood, and sometimes she offers them a job. Uh, She and I were supposed to meet one time, and she was late, and she apologized and said the reason she was late is a bullet had pierced her car tire, and she had to change her car tire, and that's why she was late. I've heard worse excuses. She lives in a tough part of the city, but she is filled with resurrection stories. Addicts who die to themselves and discover new life. Drug dealers who become community leaders. Families who've been shut out becoming homeowners. Victims of discrimination who find their voice. Lisa's life isn't what most of us would call normal. She wouldn't want normal. Normal does not raise people from the dead. Let's not go back to normal. Wherever you are, God is not done with you. He gave his life for you. He suffered for you so that your sin and your failures and your past and even your death do not have the final word. He bore it all on the cross and then he stood over that grave until the grave said, Uncle, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you that you still bring life from death. Thank you for calling us to so much more than normal. Help us to find our hope and our identity in you. On this Easter morning, raise us to newness of life. In the love of Christ we stand. And this we pray in the name of our risen Savior Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.